Welcome to the Breaking Health Podcast, a series of discussions with the most disruptive CEOs and leaders in digital health. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Breaking Health Podcast. This is Tom Salemi. I'm here with our fantastic host, Steve Krupa. Hello, Steve Krupa. Hello, Tom. How are you? I'm great. And this is a, a very special episode of the Breaking Health Podcast. It's like a birthday, right? It is. Number 100. Can you believe it? That's unbelievable. I, we, li- we did kind of a retrospective conversation back in episode 26, and I was like, 26? What the hell was I smoking 26? This is 100. <laughs> this is a real number. It's a big number. Good golly. It's a big number. Yeah, I remember sitting out on my porch in 2015 when you, uh, you, you and Jennifer Jones talked me into doing this. Yeah. So and I um, it's been a lot of fun. I love it. So, do you? Did you? This is the, the typical question, but did you think you'd, you'd get this far? No, I thought we were just going to do 50. <laughs> <laughs> All right, isn't that what we originally said? I think we were going for 50 in a year, and then yeah. uh, and then we uh, were able to uh, just kind of had the momentum going, and you kept going. We kept going, and uh, I don't think we did. I don't think we're doing. At, I think I don't think we're at a pace of 50 a year, but let's say we started late 2015. So we're probably okay. We're probably in like a 40 a year pace, right? Something like that. No, nope, that's great. Well, we're, we're able to augment it with my, with my lame uh, interviews from time to time. I, it's, <laughs> it's no replacement for Steve Krupa, but that's, that's right. That's right. That's right. So I want to get into, uh, we're not going to have, you're our guest today, you know, oh, thrilled hey. to, yes, it's you. This is all about you, Steve Krupa. I've, right. got, I've got people from your life come in here and tell us great stories. That'd be funny. <laughs> that was funny. too hard to put together. I considered it, but uh, we can just talk about sort of the transitions, having this podcast, uh, what it's like, what it's done for you. But also, I want to find out a bit more about what you've been up to. Your your yeah. responsibilities have changed over the years. Sure. And uh, and I want to get into that. So I don't know if folks get to look at the, the Breaking Health website on com, but it's got your bio on it, and uh, your your biography has changed over these many years since you've started the podcast. Many the, years. <laughs> <laughs> the picture's the same, so you still look about 30, I'd say. But uh, Yeah, no, the pic- they're going to keep that up there because I'm older. <laughs> I don't photograph as well. <laughs> but you're now CEO of HealthEdge, and we described yeah. it as a, a software company focused on providing next-generation business-transforming technology products to the healthcare payer market. So this is great because you, you kind of started off as – a VC doing a podcast. Now you're a CEO doing a podcast. That's right. I don't know if people picked up on the difference of line of questioning perspectives in the podcast because you're just a true professional. Ah, yes. But uh, we want to kind of bring them up to, up to date on how this transition happened. So, yeah, tell us a bit about how you became CEO of Health Edge. Yeah. So, I, Health Edge is a portfolio company of silos, um, and we um, are our founding CEO Rob Gillette, who was an earlier. Um, Breaking Health Podcasts uh, interview um, decided that he he wanted basically to retire that he had he had, he had worked long enough um, and I uh, I stepped in as interim CEO while we uh, went out and tried to find a replacement and there's a lot of reasons why I stayed I think you know I would say I loved it so much I thought about staying even though it was a uh, a fairly inconvenient job for me to take, given that the company's located in Boston and my home is in New York City. Um, but the reality is, is that I started to interview candidates as I started to sort of dig into the job. 
um, I really felt like it, it sort of pulled together everything that I had been doing in life into sort of one job. Um, and the board was happy with the work I was doing. So, uh, we, they asked me if I would stay on full time. Uh, and it made sense at the time, at the time that they asked that question. And today also it made sense for me to do that. So, um, so that led me to this. I still, uh, do the, do have responsibilities at silos, uh, with for portfolio companies, uh, and boards, but that's a much smaller, much, much smaller part of what I do now on a day-to-day basis. Now you have when listening to the podcast we did at uh, number 26, I recall, I don't think you had have been a CEO before you went, uh, from wall street to VC. Uh, this is your first CEO gig, my first CEO gig and really, um, well, I technically led silos, right? So I don't sure. think that's a CEO job, right. uh, from a standpoint of, you know, operating a venture fund is, is much different you know, basically operating a very small group of people. So health edge is a big company. You know, we've got, uh, about 300 employees. We have about 400 plus, you know, independent contractors that work for us on a full-time basis. So around 400 people. So it's a much different uh, experience than, than being a, being an investor. I had been, uh, you know, when I was a kid and in, in, at a, at a college, I was an engineer and a programmer in a Johnson controls, which is a very large company, but I had been in various operating roles there. Um, but this is the first time I've, I've run a full company. Yeah. Did you feel that this was something that you lacked as a VC? You, you hear, you know, operational VCs with operational backgrounds, uh, very often are held up as, as having experienced both sides of the of the the process, so they have insights perhaps that VCs who haven't led a company of, of uh, a larger size don't have. Do you feel this is something you were li- lacking on your resume? Was this something you'd wanted to do uh, at any point? It, it's interesting. I, when I filled out my business school application, they sort of ask you all these questions of like, "What are you going to do someday?" And on my application, I said, "I'm going to run a company." You know. So I must have been thinking about that all the way back in 1991 before I went to business school. Um, but, you know, your career pushes and pulls you in different directions. And mine had pushed me into the investment side. Um, so I, I hadn't really thought about it. My, my partner at Silos, Al Waxman, um, he had been he had run a number of successful companies before getting to the venture space. So he he, he had an operating orientation towards VC and a lot of that rubbed off on me, frankly. Um, but I hadn't been sitting there saying, geez, I'd go, I'd love to go be an operator, uh, um, per se. The other part of your question is, is that what does it, does it sort of change you? Um, I think it does. I, I think, I think a lot of venture capitalists are, are awesome at, um, understanding the trends in technology, the trends in the business sectors that they, um, they, they study and then sort of marrying those trends together and developing theses for investing and, and how to invest. And there are also a lot of them are very talented at, at bringing um, opportunities to the businesses that they invest in through their networking and contacts and their, their expression. Um, but if you haven't run a company, um, it's very hard to have on uh, at a very uh, in a very high percentage uh, operating advice. Give operating advice to. Uh, two CEOs um, that is that, that hits the mark uh, for the circumstance. You can do it, and a lot of times you're right, um, but it's the experience of being a CEO really rounds out that to the extent that an investor wants to be that, round that piece of it out. 
uh, in that you really can understand what it's like to, to run a company on a day-to-day basis, which is a highly active um, experience. It's, it's very, you know, it, it's very different than, than some of the contemplative things that you do when you're an investor. Is that a good answer to your question? No, that's a good answer. And it's, it's causing me to ask you to think of a few more questions. I, mean, I, also, I almost wonder if not having that experience can also be a benefit if you're a VC because you, you want yeah. to, you know, it's all about the numbers. I understand, you know, yeah, yeah. yes, you're telling me there are complications. I don't really want to empathize with you. <laughs> I want you to deliver well. on, these, on these promises that you made. Hey, Tom here. We'll get into Steve Krupa's answer in just one moment. I did want to remind you that the Digital Healthcare Innovation Summit is happening on October 11th. Go to dhis.net to register. As you know, this event has sold out the past few years. We've talked about that. It actually does, so there's no real reason to wait too long to register. So go to dhis.net to sign up. Join me, Steve Krupa, there in Boston at the Mandarin Oriental Hotel. Now let's get back into the conversation where I asked Steve whether or not being a CEO makes you a better VC. Well, I, w- I would say to you very simply, you know, as an investor, right, uh, it's, an, it's an interesting thing. So when you make an investment, you want to know everything about the things that affect the investment that you're making, right? And, and that is going to be informed by, you know, the, int- the, you know the, the knowledge that you bring to that question and the experiences that you bring to that question. So an operator-only VC is going to bring a set of experience to, to that question that's entirely different than a uh, person, a VC that maybe has been an investor their whole life and, and not operate. So the more, the more and more questions that you bring to that I think is a benefit. I think the trap that an operating person can fall into is to place themselves into the role of the operator and imagine themselves running the business they're investing in. Mm-hmm. And that will by itself make them more optimistic about the investment as a bias because they would say, Oh, if I were running the company, they don't really think about it that way, but they see it that way that this is what you need to do to run the company. And what they really need to be focused on is whether the person they're investing in can do the things that they would expect they might do running the business. It's very interesting, you know, when you you say, I could run that company, but you're not running that company, you're investing in that company. But but because you think you could execute on those goals if you were running the company, you therefore assume that the person running the company can do the same? Yeah, you can fall into the trap of believing that that um, that the that the idea and and the uh, and the opportunity set is clear and what to do about it is clear. Uh, when what you really want to make sure is that it's not clear to you, but clear to the person that you're backing so that you know that they're going to be and that they've got the skills to do what they need to do to run the business. That's that's a that's that that's the perspective. So when you talk to a, a, a VC and if, if you they, they seem a good venture capital firm really wants to have an operator in its midst, midst. it doesn't mean that that that, that operator may be may or may not be a partner, certainly mm-hmm. could be a partner, but they want to be getting that insight when they're looking at an investment for sure. Um, I think that, I think that's a, that's a critical component. Um, but you're really evaluating whether the person you're backing has the skills, the knowledge, the experience, and you know, to 
run the company that you're investing in. Uh, and you, you don't want to confuse, uh, you don't want to confuse that aspect of the investment. Most people say, you know, it's market, it's, it's, it's business model, it's technology. And then it's, it really narrows down to the evaluation of management. So the operator VC has to shift their focus and look at the person and evaluate the person versus, you know, how they might run the business otherwise. How difficult has it been to transition away from VC being the, the primary descriptor of, of what you do and, and what you actually do every day? But it's 20, it's 21 months to, 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 or so. Um, and it's, it's, it's now, it's now not a problem. It's, um, it's, it's really, you know, my calendar, my schedule, uh, the things that are in front of me are, are very much focused on, on operating health edge. Uh, even though I, I, I do spend time with the CEOs of, uh, some, some of the other silos companies and sit on those boards. Um, the, you know, looking, looking at, um, at deals is, is not something I'm doing right now. And that would be what I would be doing if I weren't running a company. I am interested in deals. I'm interested in what you and I, uh, are doing here, staying in the flow and obviously health edge, uh, is out looking to do deals or, or strategic partnerships with companies that are, uh, that, that make sense and are in, are in line with our vision and strategy with the company. So I like to stay involved in that side and that deal part is, is out there. Um, but I also enjoy the, the, what we're doing in terms of digging up these, these really interesting ideas that are getting funded out there. And I don't want that to go away. It's sort of part of my DNA, but the work to evaluate a deal, which is substantial is, is no longer on my plate. So what have you, uh, Tell us a bit about Health Edge and how what you what you've been able to uh, accomplish in those twenty one months. Well, you know the, the opportunity set at Health Edge is is massive. Um, you know we we provide um, modern software uh, for the core system of record uh, inside of uh, health insurance companies um, and 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 their and their and similar entities like uh, third party administrators, et cetera. Um, a lot of, uh, the technology that's out there today and running in those environments is, um, uh, some of it's quite a bit of it actually is in mainframe, uh, uh, architectures, uh, some of it's in client server architectures. You remember all this stuff as, as it has evolved over the years. And we're obviously, we're offering a state of the art web-based architecture, uh, with our product. And, and that enables us to offer a lot of different. Uh, functional capabilities that is hard for those older systems to, com to compare to. Um, and the opportunity is significant. So we look out and, and, and can see a very long period of time in the future where um, those companies will be modernizing their technology and they're starting to realize they need to do it sooner rather than later as the demands of their business uh, uh, require that their technology interface with, with modern infrastructure. Um, and so that's very cool. And it, and, and, and the, the core of what we do is, is really on the, on the claims adjudication and the benefits administration and the provider contracting. Um, and it also includes enrollment and billing and, and some of the, um, more, uh, uh, some of the business processes that sort of surround those ideas. And it ends up being a fairly complex and, and expensive, frankly, uh, techno technology to get right and get into place. So we see that we've sort of over the years created a very unique set of IP, a very unique set of capabilities. We have a, a fairly small market share today, and we're probably 
in the three four percent market share. Uh, but you know the company will will double uh, in four years uh, since I had stepped in, and we're getting you know some of the the larger customers to to work with us, and um, every everything is is high energy, uh, fast paced, and uh, just what you would just what you would expect in in a, in a business that has a significant runway ahead of it. How do you manage? Uh, growth at that pace. That sounds like it's uh, obviously a lot of hiring, a lot of picking the right people, a lot of making sure the org charts don't make sense. How challenging is that? I think it's challenging. And I think, I think, you know, we talked about it when I first got there. Um, at, you know, one of the first people we sat, I sat down with was uh, Laura Tomeno, who runs basically human capital management for us. Um, you know, we're at the, at, at 400 people or so. So when I got there, we were probably at 260. Uh, so we've done a lot of hiring in 21 months. Um, and the first thing that we did is we, we decided, we said, let's take a look at what we want to be as a culture. What culture do we want to build, uh, on a going forward basis to address this growth opportunity? And, you know, how do we go about hiring, you know, for that culture? And that was a complex question, a very complex question. It's a question that is evolved, evolves, as we say in the computer, and then software business is evolving in an agile way, mm-hmm. which is a fancy way to say we're iterating to the truth, right? <laughs> um, and, but it was critical that we even asked the question because certainly if we hadn't asked the question, we wouldn't have had a good target in mind uh, for the people that we wanted to bring in. And it really starts with um, the vice president level in the, in the company. You've, you've got to bring people in to those roles that are aligned with um, the culture that you're trying to build, because at the end of the day, you're going to count on them to hire the people, uh, that are doing, that are writing the software and delivering the technology. When you say pick a culture and I'm sorry to interrupt you, I'm curious, are there like three or four, you know, in a a book you say, we want to be this kind of company, or do you look at what, what you have, where you want to be and sort of create a recipe of your, your own culture? I mean, is it easy? Is just, is it easy to describe the kind of culture you, you have or want to have? I think it's easy to describe our culture today or the culture we're pursuing, because I would say, you know, it, it, it is our culture the, what we want it to be today. No. Have, do we, do we know what we want it to be? Yes. And I'll describe it to you and I'll, and I'll tell you how we, so what we wanted to do, what we decided we wanted to do is we wanted to have uh, sort of three ideas and five pillars of our culture, right? So First idea is we wanted a culture that um, promoted teamwork, and we sort of talk about that from a very, very much sports analogy, having the other person's back, letting people, you know, helping people uh, understand what their roles are, enabling people to do their roles, et cetera. But you want to really focus on, at least we decided we wanted to focus very hard on teamwork because we're delivering complex technologies to our customers. We wanted to make sure everybody understood what their roles and responsibilities were and that if they needed tools to do their job, they needed, they could come to us and we would provide those. Um, and then we just focused on five pillars of our culture. So we, 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 we talk about driving customer value, first principles thinking, right? Cross-functional collaboration. So the IT guy and the development guys need to be able to work together with the implementation people. Uh, the marketing and sales people need to be able to work together. Marketing, sales, and finance needs to be able to work, to work together, et cetera. So cross-functional collaboration. Uh, pro, uh, a culture of continuous improvement. So first principles thinking, coming up with 
new ways to do things and continuously improving on those. And you get into sort of DevOps and Agile when you start to talk about that. And then the fifth is engineering excellence. So we, 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 we describe that as our culture and we, we start to, to think about how we can, uh, uh, you know, uh, relate values to that. Um, but the truth is, is that that culture, we believe it's what's necessary to drive the higher level strategy in the business. Um, the business was really founded as a software company. Um, we concluded that we needed to evolve it into a solutions oriented company, which is more than software. It is being, uh, able to understand the very uh, intricate business needs of your company company and use your software and, and other things to help our customers develop those solutions. And so we believe that the evolution towards a solution orientation required the culture that we, we described. And it took us a, quite, a, quite a bit of time and work uh, to put all of those things together because you had to build the strategy idea first before you could do the cultural idea. And we kind of did it all sort of simultaneously in, in what, what, what my, uh, my guys would say a very agile way, if you will. So you're, you're instituting this new culture. Uh... You mentioned at the start that you were working with a board of directors that was happy with what you were doing as CEO. What is your? How do you communicate these changes to your investors and to your boards of directors? Board of directors. It's now kind of your, your, the roles have reversed. Now you have to keep them informed of what you're doing. What has that process been like uh, managing up? Well, yeah. So I, I'm I'm lucky. I think I've got it a little bit easy because my board consists of uh, of, of silos people and 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 others, but. Um, but at least I had sort of friends there in place. You know, it's very it, it's a very interesting experience for other CEOs where they actually have a board of directors of people they know they don't know very well, uh, and and they only come together and they come together infrequently. So uh, the way I start is uh, is you know Al's chairman. He sits in on you know I do two management stand up calls a week. He sits in on those just so he can be in touch with what's going on and be an advocate for me with the rest of the board. Um, but beyond that, it's really a very highly transparent and communicative, um, relationship, the, you know, where, um, you know, went in and told the, the board, these are exactly the issues that I'm, uh, I'm addressing. Um, and, and as that strategy and approach started to get refined, they got brought in fairly early, uh, in the early thinking. And so as we've evolved that, they got to just see sort of these in incremental changes. And one of the things I always say is, is, you know, it's very important to me when I, when I, when I show somebody what, what I'd like to do, that it makes sense and they agree it makes sense, you know? And so by getting the board involved early, as we sort of tweaked our approaches, um, you know, I could go to them and, and say, does that make sense? And I can get, get feedback as to whether or not they felt it did and get their insight into what they think I could do to make it better. And that's really what you want to be able to do with your board. It's, it, the board needs to be as, uh, as in touch with the business as you possibly can get them without overwhelming them because it is a part-time job being a director. Um, and so, and so they were very much aware of where we were taking this and where it was headed. And they, I don't think they could communicate this all of the things the way I just did, but they do understand them. And is that processed? Does that reflect your experience as a VC? You know, flipping the, the operating discussion around, do you know how to talk to your board better because you've, you've been on boards? I talk to my board differently than any other uh, CEO that I've worked with 
uh, talked, had, you know, worked with me, mm-hmm. except with one exception is we interviewed C, uh, Lou from patient safe solutions. He, he, he and I sort of took our jobs respectively around the same time. And I, I don't know whether it's coincidence or what, but he does, he uses sort of the same approach that I do, uh, in terms of the, with, with the board. Um, and I, and I think it is informed by, by being a VC. I sort of think about my, I sort of put myself over into their shoes where I've been and I say, what would I want to know if I was sitting on the other side here? And, and what would I want to be, uh, be aware of? And so I really spend a lot of time too, letting them know, um, you know, where I feel the risks are because at the end of the day, running a company is about dealing with risk. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yep. And do you, well, let's ask the question that, uh, that I think you've asked a lot. Where do you see Health Edge being in uh, in three to five years? Well, you know, I think you'll we'll, we'll be at you know well over five hundred people uh, in a, in a couple of years, um, and I think we are, you know, we are positioned to be the leading uh, technology in in the uh, in the system of record for for health plans. And what's cool about that is a we're we're bringing you know some of the best computer science available, uh, today to that problem where a lot of those companies are living with much older computer science to solve that problem. So we're going to see a, an increasing demand for, for what we do on, on the, on the core, what we call the core administration side of the business. Um, but what that really does is, is it, is it also gives us an opportunity to build other applications that interact with that core uh, administrative platform. If you were to look at a chart of the inside of a healthcare IT environment, you would see, you know, all of the interactive wires, if you will, pointing to the health edge. If we're, if it's a health edge customer, um, that, that core administrative platform is integrated to pretty much everything that the health plan does. So we can start to look outside of it into the care management world where they do care management into the member engagement world, into the, you know, regulatory world, into the provider management world, into, um, the, uh, the compliance world and so forth and begin to, uh, build applications, uh, using modern computer science and, and its benefits, um, to help enable that system. And I, I, I describe it as the virtualization of, of um, health insurance infrastructure, uh, you know, over time there are so many things that are being done um, that are wasteful inside of that infrastructure, and we'll have the opportunity to sort of uh, begin to eliminate that waste by applying technology. And does this eventual success? Uh, how does this uh, fit into your career going forward? Do you see this as a as a temporary transition to running a company, or do you think you you've sort of enjoying this gig and you'd like to? Do another one. Well, I think I, you know, honestly, I've, I, the, the honest answer to that question is, is I, I, I've concluded halfway through this journey, which has been short at this point, that I really shouldn't be thinking about anything other than <laughs> how to make this company great. Good and answer. That I'll have all sorts of ideas that I can pursue when I'm an old man uh, <laughs> if I do that. You know, uh, and I don't want to put, you know, I, I don't want to put a time schedule on anything. I just get up every day and I'm like. How do I how do I deliver value to the customers? How do we think about things differently? How do we work better together? How do we improve and how do we deliver great engineered products? And I figure if we do that, you know, the sales will come and the business will flourish and I'll be okay. 
And that's that's the way I'm thinking about it. That's a good perspective. And just finally about the uh, the podcast, you and I, uh, you know, we, we're we're at number one hundred. We're doing a lot of done a lot of great interviews. We've got more uh, coming. Do you? Uh, how has this helped you? you? You mentioned you know it keeps you informed. You're, you're continuing to talk to people, coming up with great ideas that have been funded. So you've got that connection. But if you were to talk to someone who was considering doing this sort of thing on their own, what are the benefits? Do you think it's it's uh, brought to you and help you in doing your job? Well, I mean, look, you and I become buddies, so that's been kind of fun. That right? is cool. I really like I, I like that part of it. Um, I think I said this to you early on. What I love about this is I get to go out, I get to do a little research, get to meet somebody I didn't meet, be- haven't met before, and I get to learn about something that maybe I didn't know the, all the details on, and uh, hopefully produce um, something that, that that's interesting for others to to listen to and learn, but from a self-fulfilling, uh, notion, it, it feels good to be able to start something, finish it, get it done, and then be proud of what you've done. And every one of the podcasts, I always think, wow, that it felt good. I was able to get that accomplished. Um, because a lot of the problems and challenges that you, that we all have in our careers tend to be longer lived. And, and this is a very, very cool thing where you get to just build, and, and you'll work on something, build a podcast, if you will, and feel it, feel it, feel that sort of joy of having done something kind of different, you know. And that's why I, I get out of it, and it also, you know, pulls me uh, over towards the innovation side and lets me think about something other than the company I'm running today. Which is kind of cool. That is cool. That's great. And yeah. uh, and I agree. I really enjoyed getting to know you. And uh, you're also transitioning geographically as well. You're going to be uh, moving the family up to Boston to cut down yeah. the commute a little bit. So. Yep. We'll, we'll be able to hang out all the time, Steve. I know. We'll, well, what we're going to do is go to a Yankee Red Sox game. Tom's in the house again, Steve. Can you make him? <laughs> Doesn't he have a home of his own? Yes, Red Sox-Yankee games. That's right. And, exactly. and you're going to wear your cap. You're promising, right? At Fenway. I'll, I'll wear a cap, but I won't be, I won't be embarrassed. That's fine. Yeah. So, you know, I'll be one of those Yankee fans that behaves themselves. So. You, guys, you guys aren't as scary as you used to be. I know. I, know. <laughs> I long for those days to come back. I bet I you do. <laughs> I bet you do. Well, this has been awesome, Steve. Thanks for the first 99 and for this 100th. Yeah, thank you. And, I'm uh, enjoying. You, that's great. And, and anyone out there, you can uh, help out the podcast. I'll do the lending right now. You can subscribe to the podcast so you get it sent directly to your uh, listening device and give us a ranking. You can email me, tom at healthag.com. That's the word health, followed by letters egy.com. If you have answers, there's also a... Uh, on the Health AG site, there's a story to tell button that you can push and you can apply if you'd like to talk to Steve directly and, and be in the podcast. We're getting a, a very good number of those. So that's uh, very gratifying. People really want to talk to you, Steve. So, Oh, that's cool. Yeah, that's very, very cool. And of course, I'm assuming you'll be uh, at the Digital Healthcare Innovation Summit on October 11th in Boston. Registration is open. We're actually already getting some, some registration. So that thing sells out. So Steve will get in. We'll make sure he gets by the red velvet rope. But if you, uh, if you listeners want to join us, <laughs> apply sooner, um, register sooner rather than later because uh, it really is a great event. Very cool. Excellent, Steve. Thanks so much for the time, for the work, and uh, we'll, uh, we'll hear from you next week. Okay. Thank you, Tom.